Amen. Please be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, would you please turn with me to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 24. You can also find our passage for this morning on the insert inside of your bulletin, along with a brief outline of today's message. And as you're turning there, you may have noticed a, a family or familial theme in our service today. That is because we are walking through the life of Abraham, a um, season of God's Word that is very um, focused upon the family. And as um, we say that, we welcome those of you that are here with us, visiting, uh, traveling, or maybe even those of you that have joined us online. If you are here in and through the name of Christ, we welcome you as our family and are so glad to have you with us. Of course, as I mentioned, we are walking through this section of Scripture. We've been um, seeing the life of Abraham and uh, his test of faith and, and the evidence of the faith in his life. As I mentioned last week, we're seeing his portion of this story come to a close. Uh, while he's going to be around for at least one more chapter, um, the focus now becomes upon uh, his descendants. Uh, in particular, in this passage, it is Isaac, and then from there forward, other patriarchs. Um, but Abraham is nearing the end of his time, the end of his life. Like I said, it's drawing near. And what does he do? What does he want? What does he desire? What would be his final task or some of his final tasks? Well, it would be to ensure as much as he could of God's promise, to see that it goes on not just in his life, but the life of his children. And one of the best ways he knows to do that is to seek a godly wife for his son, Isaac. And so this morning, we're going to start this beautiful passage um, just a couple of notes really quickly. This is one of the longest uh, passages of Scripture in the Bible, uh, chapter 24, and the best thing to do would be to cover it as a whole. Um, that being said, there's 67 verses here, uh, and we're not. Um, you know me, we may struggle to cover uh, the first 27 today, uh, but we're going to take it as a piece, but know that even though we're going to pause um, kind of in the middle, um, really we should see this as a major section. And so I encourage you as you go home, as you look into it this week, go ahead and keep reading. Uh, get through the narrative to see that, that full fulfillment of God's promise uh, as we will touch on this morning. But that being said, uh, I do intend for us to cover the first 27 verses this morning. And so I invite you, please follow along with me as I read for us from the Word of God. I'll begin in verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land of which you came? Abraham said to him, See that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. 
So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Would you please bow with me as we ask his blessing upon this time? Almighty God, you bless us richly through your word. Father, I thank you for this passage you have ordained for this day. Lord, I thank you for your people. We, your people, need your word and need this word So I ask that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, and that you would open our hearts that we might receive it, that the truths of it might change our lives, that we might place great hope and great trust in you, the God who directs our paths. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to read and study. I ask your blessing upon it now. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray these things. Amen. Ever since the garden, all the way back to the early verses of Genesis, there has been a theme. This is a theme of God's people. I mean, really, there were two lines, if you remember to the, the, the story um, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, and the, the Lord came and brought judgment upon them and upon the serpent. There would be two lines, two groups of people, the people of God and the people of man. And as we took those early uh, chapters of Genesis, you will recall we saw very clearly those divides. You see it in the the first children, Cain and Abel. Abel, a a humble man, a a man who offers pleasing offering unto the Lord. Cain, 
a man who is prone to violence and anger, a man who um, gives unacceptable offering unto the Lord. And he does give in to that anger and kill his brother. He slays him. Another son is born, Seth. And from Seth, that line of promise, the children of God continue, but also do the people of Cain. And as generations go, they're known more for their wickedness, and the line of Seth is known more and more for their righteousness. And you could track Abraham through that line, that line of Seth, through that line of Adam. And you could see even now that Isaac is the continuation of that line, the next step in those children of promise. And it is Abraham's desire, it's his heart's intent that at this juncture he continue this, that God's will would be fulfilled, that a people, a particular people would be preserved, done so through finding him a godly spouse. Now I say that Abraham is doing this, but ultimately, and this is really the point of our passage this morning, God is the one who provides. God is the one who watches over our steps. God is the one who clears the path, who directs our ways, and does that which we need. And we're going to see that this morning clearly laid out in our passage in a couple of ways. And I want us to see it as we look at two major themes in our text. First, I want us to hope in a faithful God. I want us to know, I want us to, to remember, I want us to recall that God is faithful. And then I want us to see that we should trust in that faithfulness. We should hope in it and we should trust in it because God, the covenant-keeping God, does keep His promises. And so these are the sections we will look at. Would you please follow along with me? Really, it's broken into two clear parts. The first part is Abraham's oath with this um, servant. And we begin our passage with, with two truths. First, Abraham is old. He is well over a hundred at this point, and the, the end of his life is drawing near. We'll see that in uh, the next chapter. And we shouldn't minimize this um, point, because this is a testimony to God's faithfulness. A, a long life, a life well lived. He's had his ups and downs, but as a whole, as we look at his life, he's been a faithful man. He has served the Lord, and he served the Lord well. And while the length of his days is significant and remarkable, even more so is that second marker we get about him. The Lord has blessed Abraham in all things. He's a blessed man. He has much to be thankful for. And this is coming off the heels of losing his wife. And yet the Lord has blessed him in all things. He's got a grown son. He's got a legacy He's got a future, not just for him, but for his household. He's been blessed. And that is a, a true reminder for us today that we should seek the Lord in all things, from the beginning to the end. We said last week in the life of Sarah, Sarah serves as a marker of faithfulness unto the end. And here Abraham is near the end of his life, getting his, his, his household in order, doing final things, and he is faithful even still. Oh, that that would be said of us. Oh, that we would begin and go through and end our life in faithfulness unto the Lord, seeking His blessing and seeing it upon us. Now, the thing that Abraham needed carried out, the, the, the great task that was before him was this finding of a wife for Isaac. And he um, entrusted this task to a great servant, uh, the greatest in his household, the one who had in charge of everything. We know Abraham believes this, um, to be the ideal candidate due to the words that he's given or that he gives us. 
And what was that task? Well, we're told here, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son, Isaac. Abraham wanted Isaac to have a wife of his family. He wanted him to have a wife that knew the Lord, that worshipped Yahweh and served him. And that may not be the case of those from Canaan. And so he asks the servant, please find him a wife back from my home and from my people. This was so important that he makes him not just say that I will do it, but he makes him swear an oath. We get this unusual ritual here. And it's most likely that Abraham is the originator of this ritual practice. Something that's done to this day in the Middle East. Now the particulars of this ritual are uncertain. And we admit that, and even better, so does Calvin, um, admits that what exactly took place is unsure. But there's a degree of humility here. So submit yourself to me. Abraham was really humbling his servant. Kneel before me. There's also a sense in which because of the location of the thigh, this would have been a reminder of God's covenant promise to Abraham. The covenant made through circumcision that God would be his God and God would be the God of his people. And so to this servant, he's saying, you go in the name of my God, the God who has promised all these things to us. And so it would have been a reminder of what God has done and it would be a charge to continue in that moving forward, to be faithful, to listen to the charge and to enact it and carry it out with all seriousness and with all strength. Now that's all well and good, but there's a problem, right? There's a big problem and the servant notices it. Abraham, I, I will, will do anything you ask of me. I will serve you and serve the Lord faithfully, but I cannot guarantee that it will be reciprocated. I cannot guarantee I will do what you're telling me, but what if I go and what if I find this woman and what if she's unwilling to come? What if she's unwilling to do that which you have asked? Are you really going to bind me to the Lord God in this manner for something I cannot say for certain will take place? And Abraham sees the, the implications here and, and he doesn't want to do wrong by his servant. He doesn't want to bind him unduly. And so he says, if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath. Only you must not take my son back there. And there being the land to which he was raised. And with that clause thrown in, Abraham agrees, the servant agrees, and this oath is sworn. And I want us to consider a couple of things before we see the servant set out on this journey. Abraham is displaying a great level of faith here, isn't he? He is trusting the Lord to provide a son for his wife from his extended family. He has placed a very specific charge on his servant. And, and those of you that, that have children and, and those of you that have married off children, you, you know, you pray. And even now I'm praying for my children and for Caroline that Jesus would come back in the next 18 years. But you pray for them that they would, if it be His will, find godly spouses, right? In fact, that becomes one of your greatest prayers that they would know and walk with the Lord and that they would find a suitable helper to help them in this life, to raise them and their children in a godly way. 
Abraham has this burden. He has this desire. He wants this for his family. And he says, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Abraham is saying, God will do this for God is faithful. For God cares for my family. God cares for my son. God cares for the promises he's already made and he will do what he said he's going to do. Abraham displays a a, a great level, a a confidence that only comes from the provision the Lord has already provided. Abraham knows that the Lord will do that which he says he will do. And may this be a reminder for all of us, how much are we trusting in the Lord in big things, in small things, in major matters of life and in the little day-to-day matters? Are we like Abraham? The Lord will do these things. Do we believe that which we prayed in the Lord's prayer? That He will provide. That He will give us our bread. That He will forgive our sins. That He will protect us from evil. That His kingdom will come. Far too often, I think, we're, we're tempted to, to say, yes, the Lord's will be done. I'm going to do everything I can to do it myself. And then if that doesn't work out, I've got the Lord as a backup plan. Instead, we should say, the Lord's will be done. What is that will? And Abraham, he really shows us that. And especially in this, in this scene that, that covers this whole chapter, Abraham's trust in the Lord. He's not even going himself. He's sending a servant. He's sending a servant and says, you servant, be faithful unto our God. Oh, that we would, we would learn to be a trustworthy, a people that trust our Lord, that we would be a people who has hope in our God, that we would place in His hands the desires of our hearts and our needs and our longings, that we would look to Him for that job position, that we would look to Him for where our our children should go to school, that we would look to Him for that discipline issue, for we would look to Him in our marriages, for we would look to Him in all areas of our lives. May Abraham serve as a marker for each of us to trust and hope in a faithful God. And as we said, that this is the case of Abraham and this is the case of his life, but it's also the case in his servant's life. As we turn from this oath and now look to the journey beginning, we see that he too trusts in God's covenant faithfulness. Please look with me to our second section. The oath is given and then the, the servant sets off. He takes his supplies, his needs, he, he gathers some camels, he gets some, some wealth, and he sets out on this journey. And this would have been a, a, a trip. You know, some some uh, scholars think it had been about a month uh, for him to go where he's going. This was not a small feat to carry out. Making his way to the, the city of Nahor, he, he comes to the, the gathering place in the town, the well. And I don't... I don't know, I was, I was thinking about it this week, what the local equivalent would this, of this would be. My closest guess is Target. Um, but you, you want the place that women gather. And, and in these times, it was the well. That was the place that they would carry out their daily task, the task of drawing the water for the family's needs. And many in the Bible, we know this through the biblical account again and again. Where did men go when they wanted a wife? They went to the well. Interestingly enough, um, this is why the uh, disciples act the way they do in John 4 when Jesus shows up to a well and is talking to a woman. And they're like, oh, okay, maybe he needs a wife. That's cool. 
That, that's what's going on there in their minds just a little bit. As the, as, the, as the patriarchs, often that's what they did. They went to the well, they found a wife. And the servant knows this, and he's like, this is my best shot. I've got to, I've got to go here. And, and, and what a beautiful thing, too. He goes to this well to carry out the wish of his master. He, he goes to this place to find a woman to bring home. And what does he do? Does he, does he start an interview? Does he have a checklist? Uh, does he ask around? No. He goes to the Lord. He bows himself. He humbles himself in prayer to God. And he says, O oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love here to my master. Now, I want to be very careful here. We, we, we shouldn't read into this that the uh, servant didn't know and love the Lord. You can read, you know, God of my master, and you can read that as like, is it not his God? But remember the oath that was taken. It was an oath of covenant faithfulness. It was an oath of covenant promise. It was an oath of remembering that which God had done. And so the servant here is actually being very faithful and humble to God. God who has blessed my master Abraham, bless him now through me. It's, it's not a rejection of that God. In fact, it's a submission to him. And so please don't read into this any lack of faith. And I believe this is confirmed the second time he prays. And we'll see that in just a moment. And what does he ask for God? He does, again, he doesn't have a checklist. He doesn't ask around. He doesn't conduct interviews. He says, God, help me. What can I do but you provide that which I need? And he devises this test. I'm standing by the spring. The daughters are coming in. Let the young woman that I say, please let down your jar and drink, would she also say, drink and I will water your camels? Let that be the one that was appointed to be the wife of Isaac. Now, I love this. One commentator did some math here. And just to impress upon you, this was not a small request. The, the water jars that, that the women often used to carry water to and from their house would have been about three gallons. So, you know, three milk jugs. So that was, that was a little bit of water, um, but um, it would have taken a couple of trips uh, to take care of your family's needs. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The average camel can drink, um, especially a camel that has been um, working, 25 gallons. So the average camel can drink up to 25 gallons. How many camels did uh, the servant bring with him? Ten. So the servant has 10 camels that if they're thirsty enough could drink 25 gallons of water and at three gallons at a time, well, you can start doing the math. Um, to ask a woman to water your camels would have been an enormous request. This was not some like, this is going to accidentally happen. No, this would be the, a level of humility and, and uh, a sense of service that was well out of the realm of ordinary. And here's the beauty. This is, I love this. I, I love this. While that may have been extraordinary, what's extraordinary to our God? What is out of the ordinary for our Lord? The text says he doesn't even finish making his request and his eyes see a woman. His eyes see Rachel. And he approaches her and he asks her for water. And, and what does it say? When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels until they finish drinking. Without request, with, without leading into it, immediately. I give you water, and I'll take care of your camels. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to, draw, to the well to draw water. 
and she drew for all of his camels. And rightly so, it said the text. The text says, and he was speechless. Could this be the one that my master has been looking for? Could this be the one that the Lord has sent me to find? And as the evidence is, it was yes. Absolutely it was. Um, and, and he reciprocates this great gesture for a great gesture. He pulls out this reward. He, he gives to her um, this jewelry. And this jewelry, again, um, someone's done the math, it would have been the equivalent of a year's wage. This was no small gift in response to no small feat. And he lays it upon her. This be yours and thanks for all that you've done. Take this. Now that would have shown that he does not serve a poor master. It would, it would show that, that this is a serious matter. This is not something, again, it's not a, 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 just a light comment or it's not something to just throw away, but, but this was real. But there was one last piece to fall into place, wasn't there? There was one last thing because Abraham was very specific. The, the servant prayed, Lord, grant me this request in this way. And Abraham said, she must be of my household. And so he asked, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house? For us to spend the night. She said to him, I am daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And if you go back to verse 15, we get the commentary before the servant does. She is indeed of the house of Abraham. And so his request is granted. Everything that he needed, everything that he set out for, was accomplished. And this causes this servant, this humble servant, to break into song to break into a prayer of praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in this way to the house of my master's kinsmen. And we should look at this servant, and he should be well commended, right? He, he's one that's done everything that's been asked of him, and he did it well, and he did it faithfully. And, and how easy would it be for any of us in that circumstance to go, yep, how awesome am I? I did it. I did it because I am great. But what does he do? Just like he did at the start, what does he do now? He says, no, 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 no. God is great. The Lord did it. The Lord accomplished it. The Lord receives the credit. The Lord directed my steps. The Lord directed her steps. The Lord brought us here in these circumstances to fulfill this very bizarre request that I've made so that his will would be fulfilled. And again, I just I take us back to that, that thought line that we were at earlier. How often is that our heart? How often is that the case for us? What happens, you know, earlier we talked about usually we'll, we'll cry out to God when things don't work. How about when they do? How about when our plans do succeed? How about when we accomplish everything we want to accomplish and we gain everything we want to gain? How often do we, much like the servant, go, God, it's all you. I didn't do this. I shouldn't receive credit for this. I cannot take the, the, um, the reward for this because it's yours. Oh, that not only does Abraham serve as an example for us of faith, so does the servant. Let us trust in God like this servant. Let us hope in God in times of lacking and in times of success, in times of shortfall and in times when our needs are met. And let's do it not as a consequence, but as a first priority. But you cannot read a text like this and say that the Lord does not direct our steps. 
You, you cannot read a passage like this and conclude anything else than God is sovereign and that God provides for His people that which they need and that which is for their good. Let me just conclude this morning by saying how often would our lives be better if we took this approach? What's going on in your life today? What is that thing that you are uncertain about? What is that area that you are either struggling to succeed or you're doing well in? Are you giving God the credit for it? Are you trusting in Him? Because the only reason this is accomplished is because God is faithful. The only reason this succeeds is because God is a promise-keeping God. And here's the beauty of it. He keeps His promises even when we're not. Again, we're talking about Abraham. We're talking about his faith. And we're, we're honoring him and his life and his legacy. But he's had some blunders, hasn't he? He's had some shortfalls over the last several chapters. He has not trusted in God. He has trusted in his own way. He has sought his own gain. And they blew up in his face. And yet even then, the Lord blessed him. Even then, the Lord provided for him. Even then, the Lord protected him from himself. And so I just want to encourage us this morning, as we think about our text, in those seasons, whether you're in that season of, of questions, uncertainty, struggle, or maybe you're in the season of success and blessing and abundance, Wherever you find yourself today, do like the servant, do like Abraham, and point and direct your focus, your attention, and your praise to the Lord. For we know that the God of Abraham is continually fulfilling His promises to him to this day. And as I oft remind us, we are here today as a fulfillment of that promise. God promised to Abraham a particular people, a people who would trust in the Lord and would worship Him without number, without count, through all eternity. We here who are in Christ by faith are children of Abraham and are a fulfillment of that promise. And we are here through this bloodline, through the fulfillment of God giving Isaac a wife. God does not cease to give us that which we need. And ultimately what that is, is himself. Let that be our focus this day. And as we continue in this text next time, let us continue to praise God for all that he does, all that he's promised, and all that he will do in our lives and in the lives to come. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what a wonderful reminder this morning. Lord, you are a promise-keeping God. You are a covenant-keeping God. Lord, you direct our steps. You guide our paths. And we often end up on journeys that we wouldn't have picked for ourselves, but as we look back upon them, we realize it was for our good. It was for your glory. And Father, you have a plan for each and every one of us. Lord, would you draw us to yourself? Would that plan be realized? And would we faithfully hope, depend, and trust in you, as did Abraham and as did this faithful servant? And Lord, may you richly and abundantly bless each and every one of us this day with the ultimate blessing, and that is hope and faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Lord, you have promised to provide it for your people, so we ask you will fulfill it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.